This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Well, I'm Scott. Hey, this is Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? Pretty good, Scott. I hear uh, you're melting hot over there. Yes, it's burning uh, hot. How do you keep nope. the How do you keep the CDs cool? CDs. Uh, well, yes, they're they're dripping down <laughs> off the shelf. They're melting. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, protect I, those beauties. I'll I'll try. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got some recent arrivals. Okay. Got a nice box from uh, Blackstone Audio. Um, the first one on the stack is Flash Forward by Robert J. Sawyer. Read by Mark Deakins. Um, it's unabridged, of course, ten and a half hours. Um, now, this this is going to be made into a TV series, or it's being made. I think it's uh, coming out in the fall. Yeah, probably. Um, the pilot's done already, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got this um, on my iPod uh, from Audible. Um, Blackstone released it on Audible a while back, and then now are releasing it in the, in the hard copy. So... Um, I've got a review, but I haven't posted it. We're just kind of going to coincide with the the release of the TV show. Um, uh, maybe I'll release it in a couple weeks, huh? Yeah, sure. Um, but what a great what a great premise. Um, the premise for yeah, the, the original premise. That's yeah. what in- is interesting about it. It's an original premise. Yeah, yeah. And um, another thing, Robert J. Sawyer, uh, he was nowhere on audio for a long time. But well, he had one mm-hmm. out. It was yeah. called the Terminal Experiment. And uh, that was uh, recorded books. And then, now, um, it looks like pretty much everything he's written is either on audio or coming out. Um, oh, so. well, there's the the Quintaglio Ascension, I think it's called. The uh-huh. three dinosaur books um, based on the lives of, uh, who is it, N- Galileo, yeah. Darwin, and uh, Newton? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that who it is? I believe so, it's, yeah. I haven't read them. I read the first one, and uh, the first one is pretty, you know, it's a Robert Sawyer book, so it's pretty interesting. Got a lot of, he loves dinosaurs. Back then, he was obsessed with dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those still haven't, uh, as far as I know, they haven't even been announced yet. And then my favorite book of his uh, hasn't been released either, and no mention of it. Um, that's um, his first one, Golden Fleece, his first novel. Oh yeah, uh, and there's uh, I think there's a uh, one called End of an Era as well, which is another uh, Mar- Martians and s- and um, dinosaurs book. Okay, sounds good. Well, hopefully those will come out. I'll, I'll look those up. I and bet find they out. will. Yeah, I think that they will too. Given the rate of how how many have come out recently, mm-hmm. they're they're going to go back and dig those up. Right. Um, yeah. So flash forward is. Uh, about uh, there's a scientific experiment, um, one of those super collider type experiments uh, that occurs, and the moment that it occurs, everybody on the Earth uh, sort of blanks out, and uh, their consciousness flashes forward for I forget how many years. Seventy? Mm, uh, no. no, 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 no. It's it not that many. Collider. Seven years? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it was longer than seven. No, 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 no. Twenty years. 20 years. Okay. 20, 20, it says more than 20 years on a description into the future. So, um, 
you know, imagine, you know, a, a person that's sitting at their computer, all of a sudden they're flashed forward for uh, 20 years, and what they're, what they can, they can see what they're doing. Uh, it's like they're watching through their own eyes, but they can't do any actions. Um, and this lasts for several minutes. So wherever they are, you know, um, you know, they may be, you know, at a library or a store or something, you know, and it's just like they can see what is going on in their lives in 20 years. And then they're pulled back to where they started. Okay, so, so they basically they get to witness several minutes of their lives 20 years in the future. Um, so, of course, some people don't see anything, right? And if you don't see anything, um, they quickly determine that you aren't even present 20 years from now. I wonder, I wonder how, I can't remember how it was addressed in the book, but I, I don't remember anybody being, any of the people didn't see anything being skeptical about whether everyone else was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they all pretty much accepted that it was a global phenomenon and that they were just somehow excluded, and then they figure out what it is. But right. um, personally, you know, if everybody around me was <laughs> talking about how, you know, I saw the future and blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, oh, really? Mm, okay. <laughs> wow, that's what you say. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, the main character in the book, uh, again, you know, I, I forgot his first name. Um, but anyway, the, the main character is... We'll just call him Robert. Robert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is one of the people who didn't see anything. But uh, people come forward, you know, after looking around. You know, he is skeptical. Um, but yeah, but a, after after looking around, they uh, uh, he finds out what happened to him through things that people witness. Like, let's say uh, you know you're flash forward twenty years, and what you're doing is reading the newspaper yeah. or whatever the version of the newspaper is in twenty years. Um, so somebody may have saw an article that was describing what happened to him. So. Um, Interesting. So, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff that uh, Sawyer explores in there. You know, do you change your life? Uh, can you change your life? Um, do you want to change your life? You know, so for the next 20 years, people are waiting for that moment to occur. You know, and everybody witnessed the same period of time in their own lives. You know, people didn't witness uh, different periods. So, um, you know, as time moves on, you know... Or is that moment going to actually happen? Or do you want it to happen? Maybe you don't want it to happen. Um, anyway, really thought-provoking, excellent book. Uh, Flash Forward by Robert J. Sawyer. Now, I, I think the, the the chase, he always has a chase sequence or something. Um, there's the chase sequence in that, it'll probably be in the pilot, is inside of um, the Large Hadron Collider, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, it's certainly is that what it's called? Yeah. CERN? Yeah. C-E-R-N. Yeah, C-E-R-N. Yeah. And that was... Uh, the book was written at least 10 years ago, so... Or something like that. So uh, CERN, CERN was in the news, like, earlier this year. That probably helped sell the, the series um, to uh, whoever... Whatever yeah, executives... I, I believe whatever it's, it's ABC. It. It's ABC. Um, yeah, maybe I should make absolutely sure, but... Uh, Yep, ABC. 
So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have to change it somewhat. I'm not sure how they'd make this a series, but the idea is something that I could see them making into a series. Uh, it's, I, it'll I be like be so I think that. we talked about this. I think uh, it it'll be a bit like the 4400 the way they uh, handled that. It's it's sort of a similar concept, except instead of 4400, it's like the five billion or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Gotcha. So, endless episodes. Right, right. Um, his latest book, uh, Wake, is out uh, on Audible. I think it's a Audible Frontiers title. www Wake. Right? Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, the next one in from Blackstone Audio. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Horror Stories by Richard Matheson. That's for me, right? Uh, you bet. Headed right your way. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. The stories are First Anniversary, Dress of White Silk, Witch War, Dance of the Dead, Madhouse, Prey, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Blood Sun, Crickets, Wet Straw, The Children of Noah, Through Channels, Old Haunts, Disappearing Act, The Holiday Man, Legion of Plotters, The Distributor, Long Distance Call, Slaughterhouse, and The Likeness of Julie. Hmm. Um, not a huge, not a huge audiobook, so these are short stories. Um, yeah. the, the whole audiobook is 10 hours long. Um, last week we talked about the the year's ten best uh, that Infinivox title. Um, it's got uh, ten stories in it, obviously. I think, I think there are some of them are novellas, though, aren't yeah, they? Or? Yeah, and it's only eight discs. It's long, you know, nine hours long. So this one's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Twenty stories in ten hours. Very shorts. Yeah. Now, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, that was the famous Twilight Zone episode, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the one everybody knows, the one with William Shatner and uh, the yeah. uh, the little guy hanging out on the wing. <laughs> yeah, and then later on by uh, John Lithgow in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I like John Lithgow. I like Shatner, too. I don't dislike Shatner, but I thought Lithgow did a great job. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I remember uh, the first Matheson story I ever read. It was actually by him and Chris, Richard Christian Matheson, who I assume is his son. His son, yeah. Um, it was called Where There's a Will, and it was an anthology that uh, I can't remember the name of the anthology, but I got it from the Science Fiction Book Club, so it was one of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was about this guy who who woke up in a grave, <laughs> and... Uh, Managed to get himself out of there and uh, walked to a gas station and looked at himself in the mirror. And found out he was a zombie? <laughs> yep. Oh. So I've just revealed the entire... I've ruined the story for everyone now. But it's really good. Really good story. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. He says, I'm really hungry. <laughs> I have this strong desire for uh, something. Heck yeah. All right, um, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, also from Blackstone, read by James Adams, um, unabridged, five and a half hours long. It's interesting. I, I would have assumed they had done that a long time ago, but mm-hmm. you know, it's never uh, 
too late to do another Wells, I guess. Yeah. He writes, he writes them good. And this is one I, I haven't actually read. I've never read The Invisible Man. Oh, it's quite short. You you, mm-hmm. you you should give it a shot. Yeah, it's only five and a half hours. Maybe I'll do it. The uh, um, War of the Worlds I've read and um, The Time Machine. Liked them both? Oh. I'm not a big fan of The Time Machine. I, I, like, no? I like stuff in it, but... Um, uh, I don't. All the Morlocks and the Eloy make me annoyed. <laughs> they annoy me. Yeah. All right. Stupid Morlocks. Stupid Morlocks, anyway. Uh, mind you, the Morlocks are the smart ones, though. <laughs> <laughs> the Morlocks, yes, that's right. All right. Now, the next book I have here is called The Magicians. This is in from Penguin Audio. Um, this is a book that I hadn't heard of until it arrived, um, but it's getting really excellent reviews. Um, so it's by a guy named Lev Grossman. Um, the reader is Mark Bramhall, who's a great reader, so this is, you know, this should be good. Um, here's the description. Quentin Goldwater is brilliant but miserable. He's a senior in high school and a certifiable genius, but he's secretly obsessed with a series of fantasy novels he read as a kid about the adventures of five children in a magical land called Fillory. Everything changes when Quentin finds himself unexpectedly admitted to a very secret, very exclusive college of magic in upstate New York, where he receives a thorough and rigorous education in the practice of modern sorcery. He also discovers all the other things people learn in college. Friendship, love, sex, booze, and boredom. But something is still missing. Magic doesn't bring Quentin the happiness and adventure he thought it would. Then, after graduation, he and his friends make a stunning discovery. Fillory is real. And that's the end of the description. It's an interesting concept. It's like like Harry Potter of the people who've... Read Harry Potter, you know, uh-huh. ten years ago, and now, now they want a, a good idea. Yeah, and, and that was my impression when I read the description was Harry Potter for adults. So then, um, on Lev Grossman's website, levgrossman.com, L-E-V-G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N.com, um, he's got a few, uh, you know, blurbs from critics, and uh, Elizabeth Hand from Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine says, the, ma- the Magicians is Harry Potter as it might have been written by John Crowley. This is one of the best fantasies I've read in ages. And uh, Lisa Tuttle, who's uh, written some stuff with George R.R. R. Martin, says, This is my ideal escapist fantasy read, a Harry Potter book for grown-ups. This is a sophisticated, subtle novel that is also magical fun. I can't imagine any lover of well-written classic fantasy, from C.S. Lewis's Narnia books to the works of Diane, Diana Wynne-Jones, who won't absolutely adore it. Hmm. And she wrote that for the Sunday Times. So, You know, what would be most interesting to me about about that book, starting to read it, is, is uh, reading what the fictional fantasy world is like, that mm-hmm. he's... Um, you know, like he's obsessed with these books. I, I, I just wonder what it would be modeled after. But then we find out later that it was, it's real. So I guess there doesn't need to be that much. Um, like I, I'm always interested in in fiction that's inside of other fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, if if you've read uh, The Man in the High Castle, you know about this book inside that's called uh, uh, the what's it called? The Cricket. Crap, I can't remember the name of the title. <laughs> um, 
the grasshopper lives lies heavy. There's the name of a book inside of you know that everybody's reading in in this world in this fictional world everybody's reading a book a fiction book called grasshopper lies heavy uh-huh. and just what you read about it is really interesting right uh-huh. um and the same thing is true of any other book i you know uh when i was reading uh, a lawrence block book um and the main character is a bookseller. He's in the bookstore. He's reading a book, waiting for customers to come into his store. And the book he's reading is fascinating. I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting book. And then later on, I found out that the, it's a real book. And I went and got that book and uh, found out that the author was most excellent and uh-huh. became a big fan of that author's book. So it's uh, I, I, I really like fiction inside fiction. It tends to be have to be pretty well written. Unlike in movies, when you see a movie being made in a movie, usually the movie's really crappy. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. uh, so if, if you've ever seen um, uh, a movie about Hollywood where they're making a Hollywood movie, oh, well, there's plenty of examples. Arnold Schwarzenegger did one like that. It's just awful. But, right, right. Yeah, this book seems, you know, really interesting, kind of on the literary end of stuff, yeah. probably. And um, I found another quote from George R. R. Martin where he's uh, really loves it. He says, mm. uh, These days, any novel about young sorcerers at wizard school inevitably invites comparison to Harry Potter. Lev Grossman meets the challenge head-on and very successfully. The Magicians is to Harry Potter as a shot of Irish whiskey is to a glass of weak tea. Solidly rooted in the traditions of both fantasy and mainstream literary fiction, the novel tips its hat to Oz and Narnia as well as to Harry, but don't mistake this for a children's book. Grossman's sensibilities are thoroughly adult, his narrative dark and dangerous and full of twists. Hogwarts was never like this. I'm just reading his Wikipedia entry Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a quote here that says Grossman has poked fun at misinformation about him on his own Wikipedia entry on February 4th 2009 an an anonymous editor falsely claimed that Lev Grossman had died on 27 January 2009 in a hospice outside of Boston from lung cancer prompting a reaction from Grossman and this is what is in his Wikipedia entry quotation about him talking about Wikipedia. Uh, Even though over the weekend my Wikipedia entry was changed to show that I died in January, I didn't in fact die in January. I'm going to die in the future. I was going to connect uh, I was going to correct it, but it's bad form to edit your own Wikipedia entry. <laughs> Plus, my family was enjoying all the wreaths. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's pretty good. That that's, is pretty good. Uh, sort of the story within the story idea there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he's written another book called Codex. Have you heard of the Codex? Uh, it's I'm seeing it here. It's from 2004, but yeah, I don't say much about it. Um, and it, the, from 1997. Yeah. Um, the description of that, um, just because I'm interested. Uh, Edward Wozniak, a high-flying twenty-something personal banker is about to take his first vacation in years, but before he can quite relax, an unusual assignment comes his way. A wealthy, aristocratic client is asking, insisting even, that he help her inventory the private library she and her husband have inherited. The couple is looking for something, of course, a medieval manuscript, a codex. In the course of his search, Edward meets Margaret, the disaffected 
graduate student who has her own scholarly stake in the search, even though she's convinced the Codex, an obscure travel narrative by an eccentric 14th century civil servant, is a fraud, even if it exists at all. The search takes Edward and Margaret into the labyrinthine depths of the world's most exclusive libraries, and back in time to the life of the book's author, Gervais of Langford, a contemporary of Chaucer's who was hiding secret sorrows of his own. The closer they get, the more clues multiply and ramify and invade the other parts of Edward's life. And that's before the searchers begin turning on each other. Did it you says, say did you say ramify? Ramify? Yeah. The Is closer ramify they, a word? The closer they get, the more Yeah, the closer they get, the more the clues multiply and ramify. What? And they, that's what it I says. don't think that's, that's not a verb. R A M I F Y. All right. Well, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I, well, as far know, as I know, ramify is not a word. Oh, I might want to start using it as a word. But I remember um, you reminded me of this one time I was reading something out loud to a friend of mine, and it had the word M I S L E D in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was pronouncing that and had my entire life pronounced missled. it missled. Uh, I, I, that must and, have been me. And to me, <laughs> and to me, missled was. Uh, a word that meant misled. Yeah. <laughs> so he laughed and laughed. I don't know. It wasn't you. I think was that a, was it me. Was a I, of, no, it was a friend of mine named Eric. I remember the day. Uh, okay. I was, in, I was in college. Sounds yeah. be familiar. Maybe maybe you were uh, slipped into it. When you were to me <laughs> so I just had a moment. I'm like, am I? Oh no! You told me this story before. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Uh, yeah. So now I, I know that it's misled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I told, and I think I told you the response um, uh, story uh-huh. as well. Um, a friend of mine, Steen, actually, uh, he his landlord uh, is very was a he's still alive, so he's a, a very um, you know right wing, um, uh, very um, opinionated, um, not so much racist as. Um, uh, what? Um, he, he likes to denigrate everybody. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. Um, and uh, he, he was, he was of course, completely self-taught and everything. He probably dropped out of high school or junior high school or elementary school. Um, but he, he was a big reader and he had a big vocabulary, but it was all like, like you know, it, all like what you said, you know, mi- missled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, yeah. Uh, however, the topic came up. He, he thought the word O R G Y was pronounced orgy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, you have been to any orgies lately? <laughs> you can tell that I have because. <laughs> oh man, that's good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um. What do we got here? Okay. Warhammer. Remember we we talked about Warhammer okay. last week. I yeah. thought I'd talk about one of them, Slayer of the Storm God, because mm-hmm. I went ahead and listened to it. Me and Chris were going to a uh, Chris is my son. We're going to a um, soccer game. That's Daniel Danielson kid. Danielson 14? kid. Yeah, he writes reviews da- under Danielson kid. Age fourteen. I Age think, fourteen. Right? Soon to be fifteen. Okay. Uh, August twentieth. Yep. So uh, anyway, so I put one of these in. Remember, we were talking about it. Uh, the title of this is Warhammer, Slayer of the Storm God. Who, who, who wrote that one? Uh, Nathan Long. Okay. 
Okay, and I think that we we were talking about um, this is the reason that I wanted to talk about it is because I, I wasn't sure if it was abridged last week or if it was audio drama, and mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's neither. They're short stories written specifically for audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's it's an exclusive audio story that's uh, 75 minutes long, and it's not audio drama. It, it's entirely read by one guy. Um, in this case, uh, Danny Webb, and it is uh, a dramatic reading. Um, so it may as well be audio drama because uh, um, it's it's one guy doing all the parts, but his reading is extremely dramatic. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you want an example of a dramatic reading, this is it. Okay. Uh, so he he acts the entire thing. Um, you know he's breathless when the fights are, which is, it's really one big long fight. Yeah. Um, you know, fight after fight is is what it is. Uh, uh, so Slayer of the Storm God is a Gotrix and Felix audiobook, and Gotrix and Felix are uh, characters. One of them is a, a dwarf um, troll slayer, <laughs> and that you know he's got uh, you know there's there's descriptions in there like he's got a fist the size of a baked ham you know that's that's the kind of stuff you got here but okay. uh, i was i was impressed with it um oh really with the sound of it yeah the 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 reader is fantastic danny webb did a great job um the story i guess it's kind of what you'd expect um you know it's fight after fight you know descriptions of this guy's throwing this guy over here and um you know this guy hits this guy in the chest um but the the reading is extremely well done, and um, you know it, it is pretty much audio drama. But it's not a full cast audio drama. It's a it's a audio one, one man, man audio show. Drama. It's a one man show, um, but it's it's very well done. Is there uh, sound effects as well? Yeah, there is. Um, not all the way throughout, but when there's a fight and someone throws somebody, yeah, you'll hear a table break or um, okay. there'll be some uh, sound in the background. Some, but you don't you don't hear the table breaks, and then you hear the table break. Uh, <laughs> no, you'd hear. Yeah, you'd hear. Yeah, yeah, you would. Oh, that yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's just in the background. You hear all kinds of, you know. Uh, things smashing and all this stuff while he's talking well uh i've never played warhammer 40,000 but uh-huh. um, now this one's just warhammer the other one's warhammer 40,000 oh really i yeah, didn't realize so I'm, I'm not sure you know i don't play the game so i don't know what the difference is but the, the other one is called heart of rage by james swallow i have not heard that yet that's the one is, that's written by the warhammer, b7 guy yeah that one's warhammer 40,000 so that okay. one's going to be more of a uh of a futuristic future? thing, and, yeah. and this one, um, you know, I, I can't really place it. It's kind of like in a Lord of the Rings type fantasy yeah. setting, except for you know, there's things like uh, you know, at the beginning they're trying to break into a safe. Okay. So it, it's kind of uh, a strange, you know, can't quite place where it is. You know, they're still running around with battle axes, but there's a, a safe in it, you know, that needs cracking. So that didn't seem okay. to fit to me, but. Um, Perhaps it does. I don't know. Okay. So, were you out and about driving around when you were? Yeah, we went. We went to a soccer game down in Salt Lake City. It was a the MLS All Star Game, where uh, multiple listing service. (laughs) The (laughs) Major League Soccer is okay. Is the name of the league, and there's a couple of Canadians team. Well, one. There will soon be two. Toronto has a team called Toronto FC. And uh, Montreal uh, is getting a team. Uh, there, is, there is or was a soccer soccer team near here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Whitecaps. I, I'm not sure if they're around. Yeah, they're any. not not part of this league, but okay. hopefully in the future. Anyway, so they took the best players out of that team, you know, that were voted on by various ways, and they played an English side named Everton, Everton FC, um, who is my favorite team. My favorite team is Liverpool, and uh, Everton is the arch rival of Liverpool. Okay. Um, Everton is also from Liverpool. You know, I have so much to learn about English football because on Wikipedia, or not Wikipedia, uh, Google Earth, um, I was looking around at Liverpool one time and saw that Everton's stadium is right next to Liverpool's stadium. It's like you can <laughs> you can practically throw a rock and hit the other one the way it looks yeah. on Google Earth. Um, but they absolutely hate each other, I understand. So it's all, Rivals. all in good fun, yeah. So it was really neat, because that was the first time I ever got to see an English side play live. Um, and uh, it was neat. It was neat. Everton won. You know what? Uh, when I was in the UK, um, I think I I was at a Liverpool game. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I was, because I was really not interested. <laughs> but my, my, my good buddy who I went to, um, to the UK with, uh, he was like uh, desperate crazy wacko uh liverpool guy and he he had like a what is it it's not a sweater it's a thing you wrap around your neck what are those oh, things a scarf scarf yeah no, no a noose no it was a, a noose. noose oh what no 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 <laughs> <laughs> um and uh he he was desperate to go uh and i think liverpool was playing in london the day we were there so he, uh-huh. he went there and i i i don't know what i was doing there but I, I I was bored, so I don't think I I watched the whole game. Oh well. <laughs> well, I would be in heaven. You folks, yeah, a lot of people. You folks in England are very very sad. lucky. You know, MLS soccer. You know, uh, it's got such a long way to go. When you watch a Premier League game, and then you go and watch a Major League Soccer game, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, it's night and day. That, that's part of why Beckham is having so much trouble. Um, I don't know if you've read anything about that, but but this is uh, off topic, you know. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is off topic. <laughs> anyway, all right, I will I will veer back on topic. But uh, soccer's great. If you uh, if you don't watch it, you should. Okay, end of story. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, Audible. I was uh-huh. checking out Audible's new releases, and um, they have got some great stuff. Yeah, they do. Um, so just within the last few weeks. They've got, and I'm bringing up right now, The Moat in God's Eye by Larry yeah, Niven and Jerry Pornell. That's the one that I think they, they've been listening to the podcast because that was the one I was bitching about not uh, being yeah. out on audio. It was, it was abridged. Did you review an abridged? No, it's not. It's never been abridged. No, no, no. This, one, this one's abridged. It's never been abridged? No! No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> erase, erase. This one is unabridged, but I, yeah. thought, I thought there was no. an abridged version no. out there. No, no. There's a, there's an abridged version out of the sequel. Ah, oh, the gripping hand. Out of the, the gripping yes. hand. Okay, that's why I'm confused. That's the one I heard. Oh, I, I heard see. that when it came out on tape in the 1990s. Okay, I think I still have my copy somewhere. Uh huh. Um, and it was really fascinating, but I couldn't follow the story because it was so badly abridged. Right. Now uh, I've heard great things about the mountains of God's eye, and now I'm going to have a chance to well, hear it at not, some point. Not much of a description on here. Um, it just says, The Moton God's Eye is uh, Niven and Pornell's acknowledged masterpiece, an epic novel of mankind's first encounter with alien life that transcends the genre. 
No lesser an authority than Robert A. Heinlein called it possibly the finest science fiction novel I have ever read. That's the whole description. Uh, well, I, I haven't really read up on it, um, but what I can tell you is um, it will probably include uh, these aliens called the Motis, uh-huh. M-O-T-I-E-S, because they, they talk, they summarize a lot of what happened in the first book, in the second book, um, and I still vividly re- recall uh, um, the Motis are uh, strange alien species that um, have... Uh, different limb setup than we do, but also have a different uh, sexual uh, or ge- gender system than we do. Um, and they also have a compelling need to breed, as in they if they don't breed, they, they die. So the only thing that keeps the Modi population in check is um, death. Uh, they have to be killed off or um, starved off or... Uh, killed off in accidents, uh-huh. and then the human human beings in their empire have discovered these aliens who, once they have technology, are able to rapidly use it to uh, get out of their own solar system, which is very dangerous because they breed very rapidly and very dangerous uh, beings. They are. So uh, it sounds it sounds to me like it combines all the good stuff that we like about Larry Niven, which is you know when he puts his ideas into uh, uh, a species that he creates, it ends up being fascinating, thoroughly thought through, and uh, have a built-in story. If you've read uh, Protector, have you read uh, Protector? Yes, I have by Niven. Yeah, yeah, it's just such a brilliant, um, uh, you know character idea, alien species idea, um, all the stuff that happens in it follows logically from the original setup. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. sure that's true of this. It's probably going to be an awesome, awesome book. From 1974, it says. Cool. And I was just checking out uh, Protector is on audio. Oh, yeah. I, reviewed, I think one of my I first I reviews. To it. Okay. And from Blackstone. Just, from Blackstone, okay. Yep, Blackstone, and it is available on Audible as well. Um, read by Mark Sherman. Yeah, there's a big list of um, uh, details on Wikipedia. It says uh, the, the different casts. Um, so uh, they come in different, you know, different kinds of Modi. There's mm-hmm. masters, engineers, watchmakers, and mediators. Oh, and warriors, war rats, cool. doctors, runners, porters, farmers, meats, hybrids, <laughs> right? Wow. And they're, I've got they're, to hear uh, this one. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, I think. Yeah. Who's the narrator no, on this one? Uh, L.J. Ganser, uh, okay. someone I have not heard of. I think uh, but I they, have, they have a sample his, here, and he sounds good. I think I heard one of his in something from um, Click on him. From this collection. It's a, yeah, it's an Audible Frontiers title, so uh, you, know, you may have heard something else. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, he read 361 by Donald Westlake, ah. which uh, was... Um, I remember being a good read. I don't remember his voice, but I remember it being a very good book and well read. Well, good. So good. Be good. Yeah. Now the next uh, new release I wanted to talk about, uh, f- also from Audible Frontiers, is uh, Lucifer's Hammer, which um, I think 
books on tape did that before. Is this the same? No, it can't be the same version. No, this is by Mark Viator, who's a really excellent reader. Okay. Um, Lucifer's Hammer is about a giant comet slamming into the Earth. It's, it's one of my favorite books growing up. Um, absolutely loved this book. Uh, kind of an end-of-the-world apocalyptic thing. Um, an astronomer um, figures out that, hey, uh, this thing could hit the Earth, you know, and then he tries to get people's attention, and, and some people realize that it's going to, but by the time, um, you know, they, they know for certain that it's going to hit, there's really nothing that can be done, and uh, most of the book is about survival of that event. Um, a couple of scenes, you know, and, and the thing is, I've read this book so long ago, and I was a teenager, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm eager to listen to this audiobook, you know, to, to see if I like it as much as I did. And who knows, you know, the events in the story that I remember, you know, how memory gets messed up as mm-hmm. time goes on. <laughs> but I remember a couple of really striking scenes that stuck with me. Um, one of them was a surfer out on the ocean when... Uh, you know, after the comet hits, you know, who I, who knows why he's out there. And I, I don't think he's a main character. I think it's just kind of like a... Yeah, scene. there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's it's like a disaster movie. There's a lot of right. people who just appear for purposes of showing you what happens. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tsunami comes and, you know, he's out at sea on his surfboard. And so he tries to surf it in. <laughs> Ends up hitting a building. Ouch. If I remember right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, another thing I remember, uh, this astronomer, uh, w- once he realizes it's going to hit, he sets his uh, telescope up. He has a telescope up in the hills, and he uh, puts all kind of food. He, he stocks it up uh, great, you know, really nice. And then him and his uh, girlfriend uh, zip up there, you know, when it's when it's hitting and stuff. And when they get there, there's someone already there with guns and he says this is my place now and uh you know you can leave the girl if you want to yeah yeah that does sound familiar yeah so uh yeah i loved this book i i I like that you know like the stand the stand is another one of my favorite books and um you know just the idea are you saying you like the apocalypse i think i would enjoy it i think i would be uh (laughs) I think I'd be a fan well, of Timothy that. LaHaye and uh, when Larry B. Jenkins or yeah, those those hey, I they never got read. some books for you. <laughs> those I never read. The yeah. endless, endless ones. I don't ones. know if they're any good or not, but no, I'd say they're really crappy. <laughs> Mind you, I have not read them, so mm-hmm. but I would expect they to them to be total crap. Um, I remember reading this book on your recommendation, actually. Um, oh, really? Listening to, I think it was the books on tape version. It might uh-huh. have been a book for the blind version. I'm not 100% uh-huh. sure, but I remember getting my hands on uh, Lucifer's Hammer. It not having been a Larry Niven book I had read uh, uh-huh. prior. I, I didn't actually read the um, the joint books between Larry Niven and someone else until uh, quite late. I read all his, you know, standalone stuff first. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or not standalone, all the stuff he wrote by himself first, and then I discovered, oh, well, I'll try these other guys. And Sometimes it works out well, and sometimes it's not so well. But, uh, yeah, I remember it being um, interesting, but I also remember being a little bit dated, as in uh, it felt like very 1980s. Um, yeah, I'm sure. It's set in the 80s as well, which I th- I think. I think it's if it's set in the future, it's not very far in the future. So. Yeah, it may have been, it may have been late 70s. 
No, actually, it says copyright 1985 here, but that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't make much sense to me because it, it seems to me I read it before that. Maybe you know, maybe I'm off my rocker. It but. feels very Reagan, you know. It Does feels it? Very Reagan-esque, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, or it did to me at the time. Yeah, I'm just looking it up here on Wikipedia. Yeah, 77. Okay. That makes more sense to me because 85. That was maybe you know, it's set in. I would have been a. Uh, uh, junior in high school in 85 and I'd read it way before that oh. so yep so they they wrote it before Reagan <laughs> well yeah. yeah he was governor <laughs> true you're right he was governor of California yep uh, and some of it at least some of it sat in California mm-hmm. so technically no, I read um, wrong, still <laughs> yeah yeah now I read uh, Footfall, also by them. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, did they put that out as well? Uh, no, it's not out on audio. I've not know. heard that one. I don't know if they have uh, plans to do that or not, but that is similar to Lucifer's Hammer, um, but it's an alien invasion um, novel, mm-hmm. and it, it's really good. I remember it being very good. Uh, it's an alien cover signed by both of them. Oh, cool. Which I didn't. I, I I was at a convention once with Portnell, but I've never been at a convention with Niven. Yeah, you have. With Larry. Oh, Worldcon. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I said, look at that! It's Larry Niven, and he's, <laughs> fall asleep, he's falling asleep. That's right. That's right. I do remember that. It's Larry Niven, man. <laughs> oh shoot! Yeah. Uh, I got I, pictures uh, of him nodding off during. <laughs> Couple of different. Oh, that's events. nice. Well, I, he's probably up really late. That's yeah, yeah. my uh, so. explanation. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's not that he's really old. It's that he's 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 um just up so late writing new books. That's what yeah, I, I remember. I, I think the highlight of uh, you know you correct me if I'm wrong, but you were on an elevator with uh, Robert Silverberg at Worldcon, weren't you? I I got to talk to Robert Silverberg for a minute, but that was uh, uh, yeah, it was in the con suite with ah um, uh, okay because uh, I remember you running was, up to me and going that, yeah that's that's Robert Silverberg right there <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, uh, Mike Resnick and, and Robert Silverberg a few other people and it's like wow amazing yeah neat oh yeah you know if if you're gonna meet a science fiction writer uh, who's alive right now. Robert uh, Silverberg. Is there anybody uh, more exciting than Robert Silverberg? <laughs> no, he's he's great. He Pretty much, great. yeah. Pretty he's much. Got, he's got the whole history right there. Yeah, whole history is the whole genre practically. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, Audible Frontiers has one more title out that I can't wait to listen to. So I've got a lot of listening to do. Um, Octavia Butler, uh, Wild Seed. By uh, yeah, by Octavia Butler, obviously, but uh, read by Dion Graham, um, someone else I don't know for sure. I haven't heard. Um, quick summary: uh, Doro is an entity who changes bodies like clothes, killing his host by reflexor design. He fears no one until he meets Annie Anianwu. Anianwu is a shapeshifter who can absorb bullets and heal with a kiss, and savage anyone who threatens her. Together they weave a pattern of destiny unimaginable unimaginable to mortals. Mm. 
just looking at it on the listing. It's 11 hours. Um, it says 2001. I, I uh, think I've heard of this one, but I, I didn't, have not heard much about well, it. She's, Octavia Butler is an astounding writer, uh, or was. I'm afraid she passed away uh, last year, I think. Yeah. Um, but she is amazing. Every single thing I've read by her has been astounding. Um, very deeply emotional um, stuff. Uh, in the audiobook realm, I, I heard one called Fledgling, and I just looked, and Audible does have that. I forget who I think that's uh, that is. Uh, BBC Audiobooks America. Yeah, okay. Um, read by Tracy Lay, or Tracy Lee. Um, she's, it, it's kind of a vampire novel. Um, well, I say kind of. It is a vampire novel, but it's not. It's unlike anything that you know you've read. Um, but it's just deeply affecting. Um, and that was the last novel she wrote, as far as I know. Um, but Fledgling is—I I highly recommend Fledgling. So Wild Seed. I, I'm just glad to see some more Octavia Butler. And um, yeah, anything that comes out on audio, I will definitely hear. The one that uh, I remember listening to last is uh, the 2000X one uh, mm-hmm. called Blood Child. You oh yeah, that one. Yeah, I thought I that was really uh, powerful, and it's, it's kind of a, a vampire story too. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A- aliens or vamp- alien vampires or something like that, and yeah. it's um, it, it it's it does things di- differently, you know. Like that's I think that's one of the things about Octavia Butler is she hasn't sat down and said, "Hmm, Harry Potter's selling really well. What what can I do with that?" <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. She's like uh, completely completely different and yeah. that originality really shows up in her writing yeah, yeah. and uh, i think she's one of the authors that transcend the genre too you know she's yeah you can you can use her to introduce you know if someone likes literary fiction yeah. and you can say here try some octavia butler you know chances sure. are they'll like it so a couple more uh, new releases from or that are available on audible that are not Audible Frontiers titles. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is Moonrise by Ben Bova. Now, I try to keep up with their Ben Bova releases from Blackstone. Um, I'm a little bit behind, but I sure do like them. Um, now, Ben Bova, there's this one called Moonrise, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki, um, just released on um, Audible and will probably release in hard copy um, soon. So uh, he wrote this one back in 96, and, and Bova, if you're unfamiliar with Ben Bova, he writes realistic uh, space program type science fiction. Um, so there's, there's politics, and there's, um, you know, pictures of what life is really going to be like, you know, like on a moon base or something like that, you know, very exquisitely researched um, action-adventure stories, really is what they are, you know, with politics. And, you know, part of the problems of his books are usually, you know, how can we make this work, you know, uh, economically? You know, like, if we're going to build a moon base, you know, what is the incentive to humanity to actually do that? And um, since I'm on the side of, I feel like, you know, we should be exploring space, um, I enjoy reading Ben Bova just for that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um so he, he's a heavy proponent. Even in his uh, non-writing life, he, he does a lot of work for uh, um, promoting the space program. Um, I remember so it, him from, from Omni, most mm-hmm. of all, yeah, as yeah. the editor of Omni. 
Right, and he was an editor. Wasn't didn't he edit Analog for a while? Could I be. I think he's. I think he's the one who bought uh, Ender's Game. If could, I remember could right. Be. Yeah. Um, I I just remember you know Omni Omni Omni. I was a big Omni fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for that section in the middle about it's called Antimatter. Mm-hmm. I don't know that 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 part bothered me. Uh huh. But the rest of it was good. Cool. Lots of interesting science and lots of interesting science fiction. Some real classics of science fiction were put into that magazine. Yeah, neat. So that's Ben Bova. And Moonrise is one of his earlier ones. You know, So he's done, um, well, the moon, there's Moonrise, and then there's one called Moon War. And then he's done um, Mercury, Venus. These are titles of books. Mm-hmm. Um, Mars, actually there's a few on Mars uh, Blackstone has released Mars, Return to Mars and Mars Life so it's kind of a Martian trilogy there mm-hmm. and then there's one called Jupiter and there's one called uh, Saturn and I think that's as far as he goes there and He's then not going to do one about Pluto because it's not a planet <laughs> It's not a planet, poor Pluto um, and, see, and he did an Asteroid Wars series which I really liked um I can't remember what the titles are, but the fourth one stands out to me. I say, tri- did I say trilogy? I don't know. <laughs> the fourth book in the trilogy, yeah, is is really good. Um, uh, well, the thing that stands out to me about that one is there was a family, and and the, this the family business was out there. Um, they, I don't think that they were miners, but they they had a ship. It was like a truck, probably, you know, like you know, bringing stuff places. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a family of four, and they got they they got to a space station at the exact wrong moment because there was sort of a mini revolution out there in space, um, you know, between the workers and the the owners, mm-hmm. and uh, they ended up right in the middle of a skirmish. And um, in order to to save the ship, you know, the father. Um, did some things where he had to get separated from the ship so now the the ship is on this this course where the people that are left on it have to just survive because they have no power but they've got you know their life support is working you know but they Mm -hmm. don't have any engines so uh they have to survive for so long you know and it was months before someone could rendezvous with them it's Uh, hard science fiction yeah pretty much yeah, it's all hard science fiction, you bet. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's 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 researched and um you know, this is what it's going to be like to live in space type novels. And uh he's got a lot of them out now. But Moonrise is one that I'd like to hear as well. Mm. But uh put out in the 90s. And that's released by who? The uh, uh Blackstone Audio. It looks like okay. they released it here before they released it in hard co- hard copy. What do you think um, about that? It seems that? to be they're doing they're doing that a lot now. The well, what do you think about that? About releasing it on Audible first? Yeah. Well, I don't have a problem with it, and I think, you know, they uh, they know what they're doing, I guess. Yeah, but. they know what they're doing. I don't know, you know, I don't know what kind of deal Blackstone has with Audible and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it seems to be very successful for them. Um, and like Flash Forward, you know, Flash Forward has been out on Audible for a long time. Yeah, and, uh, it's been now they release it on hard months. copy. So, you know, who knows exactly how the business actually operates? Well, I, I assume that you know most of the hard copy CD sales are going to uh, libraries. I would assume so too. I would assume so and too. So, 
you know, the, the consumer and the library are not going to be uh, exactly the same. It makes sense, but I, I wonder why they always send us the uh, the CD versions instead of the MP3 CD versions because we're 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 ripping them to our iPods anyways, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so um I mean I'm fine with the C D version. It it's uh pretty but I I I yeah, I, I would assume that most uh, most of the audience out there who would be uh who would be buying the hard copy because they don't want the DRM'd uh version right. um would still want the MP three C D version. Yeah it seems like you know MP three C D is probably my favorite um format right now you know that may change it's next absolutely week absolutely the best but it, it's perfect it's got you know you got you get your cover art you know so you have the the nice cover mm-hmm. you you have a cd that takes minutes to put into your ipod it's handy um, it's very handy yeah yeah um the the uh and thing is, is i bought two two mp3 cd players you know like for around the house uh you know you can put the mp3 cd in there and press play Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how things change, isn't it? The uh you know, just uh the other day we wanted to play a v- VHS tape, you know. Hard. And our VCR is broken. So I've been hoarding I said, them. I said well, you know, uh, my wife was going out uh and she was going to shop and I, I said, well, if you see one that's got the DVD and the VCR in it, just pick it up. And they didn't have that. So it's uh, it's becoming very hard to find. Yeah, now. it's becoming harder to find. So we don't have you know a vast library of VHS tapes or anything. It was just something if you wanted to see. What so movie was it? It was actually a play. She's directing a play, uh-huh. and uh, she had the play on VHS um, from when our theater did it uh, fourteen years ago. Yeah, so that's not something you can just go out and buy in the store. <laughs> sure, right. So she's got to go go to someone's house and watch it. Or have it converted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So. Well, that's the great thing about digital is is uh, you know when when been put in a digital format, as long as it doesn't have a big honking horrible DRM on it, you can move it from from whatever format you like to to what you like. You know. Yeah. If you record in digital, then you can keep transferring that around as as the different ratios and hardware you, you, know, you keep up on this stuff way more than me. Is there something coming up that's going to blow all the current stuff out of the water? You mean like a replacement for Blu-ray? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called uh, AVI files. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, just because uh-huh. they're ultra-portable. Right. Um, now, I don't think they're going to start. Like, I've seen a lot of the Blu-rays discs come out now. It says, with digital copy included, right? Yeah. Um, and it's great, except for the fact that it's in a proprietary DRM uh, format. So you can't... Uh, actually, in that case, I'm not sure that they're DRM. They probably, so, yeah, I, I've seen that on the things, you know, like on one of the Pixar movies I saw. Yeah. It said, uh, it you know, digital copy digital. included, but that's... How do they DRM that? Well, it's, I, I'm not sure that it's DRM, but I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering how I, they I'm would actually do that. On, I don't have a Blu-ray player, so I can't say for sure. But what I can say is um, it's highly unlikely that you would be able to um, transfer that digital copy to your uh, iPod now and then transfer it to whatever you device you have in 10 years. It seems yeah. highly unlikely. Um 
my assumption is the way the digital copy works is you go to the website. Uh, once you open up the box, there's a little code. Go to the website, and it downloads a, a copy to your iPod video, I would assume. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I would, I would I'm no expert so on that end. But, yeah, I'm just using mostly... I've got a vast library of VHS cassettes, and I'm I really don't use them very much anymore. I've also got Laserdisc and DVD. I'm mostly using USB stick, just uh-huh. sticking that into the the DVD player that's got a little USB thing in the front now. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of something that I need to get done. I have a uh, a fellow at the theater. I just mentioned the theater um, has given me a box of Laserdiscs. Cool. to sell on eBay and give the money to the theater. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> chances are very slim that they're going to be worth anything. Yeah. Um, one of the great oh, things I about looked around on I looked around on eBay, and they were going for, I don't know, 5 to 10 bucks. Depends, it depends on what the titles are. But oh. the great thing about Laserdisc that makes them hold their value a little better than some things is uh-huh. there's no DRM on Laserdiscs. Uh, so oh. you... You, if you want to output it to VHS because you've got laser rot, you can do that. Oh. And that is that is a big problem with laser discs is uh, they get laser rot. The, oh, really? The, the, yeah. The um, discs start getting holes in them from the plastic aging or whatever, and the data is corrupted and it won't play anymore. No kidding. Oh. I've got lots of laser discs, and I've got lots of those problems. No kidding. Okay, so, so yeah, these may have that problem then. I didn't know. Well, uh, what you can do is just go on there and look at completed values and uh, see what what's luck. But yeah, you you really need to mention that in your your uh, listings to say uh, these may have laser rod. I don't have a laser display. I can't tell you. Okay. So we'll do. Anywhere. Okay. Maybe I'll just sell them in one big lot then. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Might be the way to go. Okay. They're they're also hard to ship though, and they're quite heavy. But they, are, they do yeah. they can go media mail. That's the good news. <laughs> At least in the U.S. That's cool. Well, good. All right, yeah. There was one more title that I had noted that I wanted to bring up, and that is "Gun with Occasional Music" by Jonathan Latham. Mm-hmm. That's a book that I have not read. That I've been, you know, it's kind of on my to-do list forever. Mm-hmm. Um, BBC Audiobooks America has released it um, Narrated by Nick Sullivan He's Quick good. description Gumshoe Conrad Metcalf has problems Not the least of which are the rabbit in his waiting room And the trigger happy kangaroo on his tail Near future Oakland has an, is an ominous place Where evolved animals function as members of society The police monitor citizens by their karma levels And mind-numbing drugs such as forget-all and accept-all are all the rage in this brave new world, Metcalf has been shadowing the wife of an affluent doctor, perhaps falling a little in love with her at the same time. But when the doctor f- turns up dead, our amiable investigator finds himself caught in the crossfire in a futuristic world that is both funny and not so funny. And then uh, Newsweek says, Mary's Chandler's style and Philip K. Dick's vision, an audaciously assured first novel. An audaciously, audaciously assured first novel. Whoops. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, you, who who are the two people? Uh, Mary's Chandler style. Mary's Philip, Chandler's. Yeah. M- no, it marries ah, Chandler okay. style gotcha. and Philip K. Dick's vision. Yep. Gotcha. 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 
Uh, book, list, book list calls it a sparkling pastiche of Chandler-esque detective fiction displaced to an almost comical postmodern landscape. I, w- I want to send you a link here to another one that sounds sort of similar that I was interested in uh, when I heard about it coming out um, on Amazon. It's called um, The Automatic Detective by A. Lee Martinez. Uh-huh. And um, that one that one seems kind of similar, you know, sort of um, comedic re- reworking of old uh, P.I. themes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it says, tickles again. the funny bone in a delightful, fast-paced mishmash of SF and hard-boiled detective story. I, I think we've seen a, a bit of this lately. Yeah. It's not like uh, steampunk popular, but it's... Yeah, you know, a while back, you know, uh, the... Uh, see, Christine Catherine Rush did that series. Well, she's still working on it. The series of novels called The Retrieval Artist. Retrieval Artist, yeah. The Retrieval Artist. The first one's called The Disappeared. Um now it's it's not comical or anything, but it is also kind of a um, I don't know if I'd call it nor. I, I still don't have my hands around the definition for nor, but nah. it is it is detective fiction, the old Chandler esque detective fiction, married with science fiction. Um, a lot of it takes place on Moonbase, um, you know. So this this PI, well, he's kind of a PI. He's actually a um, he's a retrieval artist. And have what, you seen what, Chinatown yet? Yes. Okay, uh-huh. that's noir. Okay. That's noir. Check. Okay, if it's like Chinatown, it's noir. If it's dark, in the in in a you know, it's it's not so much cynical as um, realistic, or hmm, maybe that's too strong. Um, <laughs> sadly realistic, right? Sadly realistic. So the the ending is always a bummer. <laughs> not always, but not always. Usually, okay. Usually, if it's real noir, it's probably. It can be noir-esque, right? If you uh-huh. know, it's it's tr- trying to feel noir, but it's doesn't actually have. You know, if it has redeeming social values, everybody's happy in the end, or you know, all everything will work out in the end. Then it's probably not noir. Uh huh. Blade Runner is a good example. You know. Uh huh. I, I don't think I don't think um, what Christine Catherine Rush is writing is. Noir, and I think no, it's it's not meant- noir. It's not noir, but it is detective fiction. Right, but what, yeah. the reason I was going to say is because it's a series. Usually, you can't have a series with noir. Oh, really? Because uh, if everything's screwed up <laughs> by the end of the story, everybody's if they're not dead, they're uh, it's like old-fashioned tragedy. You know, Hamlet is noir in uh-huh. a strong sense. Uh, it doesn't feel like noir in many cases, but it it has the right uh, conclusion. Yeah, why is why is it really a fake genre? If you look at what what uh, they say are kids' books now, it's just old books. Like you know, Charles Dickens is kids' book now. Well, that uh-huh. was just literature, or yeah. Frankenstein is considered a kids' book, or uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, kids' book. Sorry, they're not kids' books. They're just well written from a long time ago. That doesn't yeah. make it a kids' book just because right. it's uh, it. There's there's no. There there are books that are written for children. Those are not necessarily YA books. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there are, you know, if you listen to um, the Graveyard Book, uh, it seems to me a lot of adults get value out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I did, uh, but I can tell that he wasn't, you know, he he, he wasn't writing for uh, an unrestricted audience. It feels a little bit written for children, um, but only in the sense that it's it's about a kid. Um, and it has a certain old-fashioned attitude, reserved quality. It's based on uh, the Jungle Book, right? Uh, yeah. But I don't think, um, but I don't think that a kids' book is necessarily a kids' book in the old, in the old reserved quality sense. Because, uh, like, um, like uh, on that list of Hugo's was um, the. Uh, Cory Doctor book, and that's I think we talked about this. It has it has sex in it. It has uh, a defiance of authority. It has all the stuff that theoretically uh, should not be in a uh, kids' book. But kids' books are have always been full of that stuff. It's just there's good writing and bad writing. Mm-hmm. Just because it has a young protagonist doesn't mean it's a YA book, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of a lot of the dis- <laughs> genre distinctions are are fake. Mm-hmm. Just for selling. Yeah. Hey, I went to the library the other day and got the latest two uh, books on science fiction, mm-hmm. which I was thrilled that they had: the Oxford Dictionary of Science Fiction and the Cambridge Companion to Science Fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they're neat books. Um. The, the Cambridge Companion has, it's just full of essays. Um, mm-hmm. See, I would just love if this was on audio. Because um, I would sure listen to it. But, you know, Science Fiction Before the Genre by Brian Stableford. Yeah, that um, sounds good. Gary K. Wolf essay on science fiction and its editors. Postmodernism. The Icons of Science Fiction. Hard Science Fiction by Catherine Kramer. Alternate History, Andy Duncan. Politics and Science Fiction by Ken McLeod. Anyway, Religion and Science Fiction. That's something Audible should do. Wouldn't that be cool? I I wonder how many people people would be interested. I know a lot of people would be interested in it, because nonfiction about uh, stuff is very popular. Mm -hmm. And this is cool, too. This is the... It's called Brave New Worlds, the Oxford Dictionary of Science Fiction. And you flip this thing open. I'm just, you know, randomly here... Uh, find the word neural, N-E-U-R-A-L, adjective, mm-hmm. connected or connecting directly to the brain or nervous system. And then it lists uh, 1955, J.H. Schmidt's grandpa in Astounding SF, February. It's the origin the, of this. Yeah, the countless the neural extensions that connected it now with the raft came free in succession of sucking, tearing sounds, and cord and the yellow head splashed into the water together. And then it says Look up, 19- uh, vi- Go ahead. Look up Visi Screen. Visi Screen. Visi okay. Screen. Or Visi Plate. Okay. Visi Plate's going to be like um, E.E. E. Doc Smith or something. Okay. Um, I have Vision Plate or Visi Screen. Mm-hmm. Visi Screen, 1938. J. Benyon, Sleepers of Mars and Tales of Wonder. Gordonov went back to his occupation of watching the repair work through the Visi Screen. 1941, Theodore Sturgeon, completely automatic, in Astounding SF, February. 
I went over to what looked to me more like a visit screen than anything else in the place. There was a switch beside it. I threw it. Nothing happened. Where's the receiver and transmitter? I growled. Hey, I want to read that book. Yeah. <laughs> 1966, Jay Deckles, picture window in Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, October. Carter went to the visit screen and called the public archives. 1979, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. She sighed and punched up a star map on the visit screen so she could make it simple for him, whatever his reasons for wanting it to be that way. That's 2003. Cool. I'd like, like to have that on my shelf. Yeah, me too. 2003, Michael Swanwick, Legions in Time in Asimov's SF, April. Then everyone was on his or her feet, all facing the visit screen, all raising clenched fists and respond to the salute, and all chanting as one, We are nothing, the rationality is all. <laughs> oh, wait, there is a visit plate. There's visit plate as well. Visit plate. It's got to be earlier. Yeah, 1930. E.E. E. Doc Smith, Skylark 3, I Amazing knew Stories. Crane looked into the visit plate and gasped. <laughs> 1944. It's, it's, a, it's a trope, just like Ansible, you know? Ansible's uh-huh, yeah. very well known now. Sure. Yeah. Um, but a visit plate was like the. Before you got a TV, mm-hmm. what are you going to call that thing on the wall that gives you pictures of the outside or faraway places? Right, right. You don't call it a TV. Mm-hmm. But television is. A, it, it, it's a science fiction sounding word when you think about it. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. Uh, visit plate is actually what a television is. Especially now with the the actual uh, televisions being actual plates of big glass with images, you know, being projected uh-huh, sure. on from their LCDs. Yep. That's that literally they literally are visit plates now. Hmm. Yep, you're Instead right. of uh, tubes or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, can you look up Ansible? Sure. How many people have used it? Ansible. A is for Ansible. I'd read that book. Hmm. <laughs> B is for. Well, you can look one up for B. Ansible. Coined by Ursula K. Le Guin. A device that enables instantaneous communication over any distance. Compare Ultraphone or Ultrawave. Okay, 1966, Ursula K. Le Guin in Rokanan's World. Noting the coordinates at which the Ansible sender was set, he changed them to at the coordinates of the League HILF survey base for the Galactic Area 8 at Kerguelen on the planet New South Georgia. Cool, Kerguelen. Yeah. You know Kerguelen, my favorite I, island? I don't. Oh, man, you got to look up Kerguelen. Kergu- mm-hmm. I, I did a post on SFF Audio about Kerguelen. Kerguelen's uh-huh. uh, uh the southernmost um, large island before you get to Antarctica. It's mm-hmm. under India, and it's also the where the World War II's most southerly soldier died. Oh, um, uh-huh. uh It's a it's a French island, um, really strange looking, very alien, and super super cool. It's lots of science fiction stories are set there. I want to look up Kerguelen in your book now. Okay. But uh, finish that Ansible one. Okay. Uh, 1977, Orson Scott Card, Ender's Game, in Analog, Science Fiction Fact, August. The Ansible sent words as they were spoken, orders as they were made, battle plans as they were fought. Light was a pedestrian. 1988, Werner Vinge, Blabber, 
in threats and other promises. It's an ansible. Surely they don't call it that. No, but that's what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. 1995, E. Moon, Elizabeth Moon, Winning Colors. When I was commissioned, we didn't have FTL communications except from planetary platforms. I was on Boarhound when they mounted the first shipboard ansible. Mm-hmm. 2004, I. Stewart and J. Cohen. So it's Ian Stewart, I think. Um, Heaven is the name of the book. Although an Ansible link conveyed messages instantaneously, the link could not be set up any faster than a ship could carry an encryption disk. Cool. And that's all that's listed there. And I, I, I don't Pretty know that cool. it's exhaustive. You think? I mean, I don't know. That's not I think you think that's every time Ansible's ever been I think, used. I think that they're probably gonna. Uh, I think they're probably going to give at least a few representative samples yeah. and miss a few things. Is pro- I mean, the genre is pretty big, so uh-huh. chances are they're missing some story. Mm-hmm. But um, it, look at the beginning, it might say in the uh, introduction. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to read the introduction. Uh, yeah. Mind meld. How's that? To engage someone in a mind meld. is It's a verb. Okay, so it, it, it's differentiating uh, the noun and the verb. There's actually two entries. So okay. mind meld as a verb is uh, P. Foglio and then New York in J. Winston's Star Tunes. We're backstage, still waiting for Leonard Nimoy, who has gone through <laughs> three albums, mind melded with four Trekkies and a Wells Fargo guard, Faith healed a sick cat, and is halfway through his current book. 1988, <laughs> Sharon McCrum, Bimbos of the Death Sun. Love that book. I'll find him if I have to mind meld the desk clerk. That was um, a great book, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think, and it's on audio. Uh, wait, wait, what's is Zombies? Well, Zombies of the Gene Pool is the sequel. I haven't right. read that one, but that's a recorded mm-hmm. books, isn't it? Yeah, I think I did a review books. of that. Yeah, yeah, it was Didn't very funny. Did we review Bimbos of the Death Sun? I, I'm pretty sure I did the review on that. Yeah, because I remember having the the original. The, the, they were doing some new packaging then, and it was on cassette. Sure, it's pretty pretty cool. Short, yeah. very short book. Right. D.M. Flynn in 1995, Fearful Summons. No one can mind meld with a computer. And then William Shatner in Spectres. Uh, I mind melded with Dr. McCoy. Spectre is a Star Trek novel. How can how can he mind meld with Dr. McCoy? I think it, it was it's, it's just a sentence, you know. So um, I don't. Think I know, William, but <laughs> unless he's. Uh, Unless uh, it's Spock telling, oh yeah, I guess yeah, it could be have been. Spock. It's a it's a Star Trek novel, so okay, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, not in quotes. It's not Shatner actually saying, "I right. mind melted when Doctor." <laughs> okay. No, as far as I know, he hasn't claimed that ability. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty uh, pretty uh, tricky trivia, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I'm nitpicking the <laughs> fact that <laughs> Shatner might be trying to mind melt with a fictional character. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's that sounds like a great book. How many pages is that thing? Uh, it is. It's not huge. Three forty-two. Wow. Yeah. Must that's have been a lot fun of... to assemble, eh? Hey? This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Yeah.